All right, good morning. How are we doing? Doing all right? Good? Yeah? Let's pray. So, Lord, I, I thank you so much for Christmas time. Christmas is such a, a blessing, such a great time of the year to celebrate you, to celebrate your incredible love for us, to celebrate the turning point of history, God, and to uh, just enjoy all the, all the traditions that we have. God, what a blessing they are, Lord. And I pray, God, that each one of them would point to you and point to this great turning point that you have given us in, in the story of our lives. In your son's name, amen. So we are going to be in John chapter 1 as part of our ongoing Christmas series. So storytelling. Who, who here doesn't like a good story? Right, we all, don't we all love stories, whether it's movies or books or books and movies or plays or whatever it is that you're into? It's like universally, we just all love a really great story. And it's interesting because the basic structure of every story is essentially the same, right? So, so if you're, I'm going to try to hit some more than one genre. So if you're a sci-fi fan, let's start there. If you're a sci-fi fan, every sci-fi story is going to start out with a hero, right? Some young guy on some young farmer guy on in the deserts of Tatoon. I've never understood why they have a farm in the deserts of Tatoon, by the way. Just saying. Anyway, some young guy happens to be, his name happens to be Luke Skywalker, right? And he's just this guy hanging out in the desert. Or if you're more of a fantasy fan, maybe it's this gray-bearded Gandalf wizard guy who sends a bunch of hobbits off on adventure. Or if maybe you're more of a macho drama guy kind of an odd combination, right? Macho drama. But maybe it's maybe it's this young down and out fighter, boxer guy named Rocky. You know, that's your hero, right? But they all we, every story starts out with a protagonist, with a hero. Okay? And then fairly shortly into the story, what's gonna happen? Things are just gonna go south. There's some major conflict. There's some major problem. There's big breakdown, right? Luke finds out that his father is Darth Vader. What's that, how's that go? What's the line? Luke, I'm your father. And he's like, no! And then he just falls down the shaft, right? So it goes south for him. Who else we got? Rocky? Rocky's up against, you know, the Apollo. Right? How's he going to take on this, this monster? And he's kind of, he, what's it? It's Creed, and then there's the Russian dude. Like, there's a whole series of them, right? And he just never gives up, does he? Even though he gets beat every time. He just doesn't give up. So things go south, and then we have the critical part of every story, and that's the turning point of the story. It's the twist. So, okay, this is kind of, this is a ghost story and not, not appropriate for children, just saying, just a little disclaimer there. But I think one of the, a movie and a story that I think has one of the greatest twists is the uh, ghost, Sixth Sense. I always want to call it ghost, but it, the title of the movie is Sixth Sense. You all with me with that? Remember, remember what the little boy says in the hospital room when the psychiatrist who thinks he's alive, but spoiler alert, he's actually a ghost. <laughs> and he's trying to tell a, a bedtime story to the little boys in the hospital bed who's been attacked. And he's just kind of rambling on and on and on. The story has no point to it. And the little boy says, so if you want to tell a good story, it needs to have a twist in it, right? And of course, that story, that movie has 
the greatest twist in the world because it turns out the psychiatrist isn't alive and he thinks he is. It's like a crazy, amazing twist in the story. And everybody in the theater, I remember, just went, no way, right? I mean, were you there? Was I the only one seeing this movie? Yeah. <laughs> so you got to have a twist. Well, the Christmas story really is the ultimate story and has the greatest the greatest twist, the, gra the greatest turnaround of all time. And of course, the, the final element of every story is the, final, is the consummation. Right? So let's go. We're going to go John chapter 1, and we're going to see the story where John, this is commonly known as the prologue. It's verses 1 through 18, John chapter 1. And John does some really amazing things here in, this, in these 18 chapters. First of all, he essentially tells the entire story of his gospel. The whole gospel that he's writing is summarized in verses 1 through 18. So if, if you want the cliff notes to the entire gospel of John that we've been going through the entire over this whole past year, just read 1 through 18. That's basically a glossary, a table of contents for the whole gospel of John. The other thing that John does with this, these 18 verses is he uses this literary form that's actually pretty common in, in the Hebrew language and, and Hebrew literature. And the form is known as a chiasm. It's a chiastic form. And I knew I would have a hard time trying to explain what, what is a chiastic literary form. So you have this little handout here, which helps really illustrate what a chiastic uh, form does. And what it does, what John does is the first idea, the first uh, verse or two, is mirrored by the last verse or two. And then the second idea, the second verse or two, is mirrored by the second to last. And the third is mirrored by the third, the fourth is mirrored by the fourth, et cetera, et cetera. Until you get to the point of the story, the turning point, the twist, is right at the middle, the point of the, of the chiastic structure. And that's the reason for the structure in the first place. It, it, this structure emphasizes this turning point, this twist in the story. Make sense? So we're going to go through this, and we're going to kind of um, see what the Lord has for us to, to really see about this amazing Christmas story, the amazing story of Jesus' birth. So chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, sound familiar? Seen that phrase before? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis chapter 1. It's interesting because not only does this summarize the gospel of John, but you can, you, you can stretch it and say that this essentially summarizes the entire story of the Bible. So in the beginning, God created the heavens, the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning was the word. Now, how did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke it into being, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, here we have our, our first clear declarative sentence about the Trinity, right? Because if you're God and you're with God, you've, you've got a Trinity. The Holy Spirit gets involved as well, right? So not only is he God, but he's with God. So he's a distinct person, the Son, and he's God. He's God and he's with God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So verse 1 through, uh, verse 
1 through 3, we have this word, who is God, he's with God, and he is the creative power behind the creation of the cosmos. Now, what we're going to discover is who's the word. I think we all know, right? Or most of us know the word is Jesus himself, right? So Jesus is the creative power, the source of all of creation, the cosmos. All things were made uh, through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Think about that. Jesus created the universe. He wove what I like to say all the time. You hear me say it all the time. He wove space and time together. He created the fabric of space and time and energy. All of that came through Jesus. Colossians says that not only did he, all, not only was all of creation made by him and through him, but it was made for him. Right. So that how what does that say about who Jesus is? That elevates him pretty much to the tip of the pinnacle. Right. He is God. He is the Creator. Um. Not anything was made. Yep. I'll leave it with that. Okay, verse, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love the, the feeling of this verse. So not only is he powerful to create the whole universe, but he is the very definition of life. He just exudes life. It's like the life that he is would give us a sunburn if we could have full exposure to it. He is just penetrating bright, brilliant light that lights up the world. His life is that. His life is just throbbing, powerful, creative life. And it's incredibly bright. Light shines in the darkness, and there's no chance that the darkness could ever overcome the light of Christ. And I tell you, if you're in a dark season this Christmas and things are tough and things are, as they often can be, very difficult and dark, Jesus is the light. He's the true light. There's no darkness. There's no shadow. There's no turning that can overtake Christ. He created it. He created all things. Amen. So second idea is from him we have the unquenchable light of his life. That's verse 4 or 5. That comes from him. So the first thought is the word is eternally with God and is God, and he created all things. The second thought is from him we have the unquenchable light of life. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness, came to bear witness about the light. So John, as, as Robert has said over and over and over again, the purpose that John has in writing this gospel is two things. One, that we understand that Jesus is God, number one. And number two, that we trust him, we put our hope and our faith in him, that we believe him in order that we would be saved, right? And that's John's purpose, John the Baptist's purpose, is to bear witness to that so that we would believe him, that we'd understand who Jesus is, and that by believing, we would be saved from our own sin, that we'd be ransomed from our, our sin. Um, kind of a side little application note here. Do you have a John the Baptist in your life? Do you have someone who reveals Jesus to you? 
Do you have someone who consistently speaks a witness to your life that witnesses who Christ is to you? And I'm not talking about, you know, a perfect person, right? I'm not talking about the Messiah himself, but someone who witnesses about the Messiah. It doesn't have to be a perfect person. It just has to be a person who believes in the Messiah and who talks about who Jesus is and what he's about and applies the, the reality of who Jesus is to everyday life. Do you have a person like that? And if you don't, I encourage you, seek that person out. Join a Bible study. Join a group. Seek it out here at church on Sunday morning. But we need to have people who are witnessing into our life. Are you a witness to other people's life? Are you sharing what you know about Jesus with the people in your Bible study, with the people that you know here, with people at work? We all need a witness. And there, it's not about being a perfect person. It's just about being a witness. And by the way, John, and we'll get into it in a moment, but John's actually a pretty impressive, amazing character. Uh, but he came to bear witness, not to himself, but to who Jesus is. So John witnessed to his, to his light that all might believe for the purpose that we would all believe. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Okay, so this is um, kind of the first, first indication that we're headed for some problems, right? But, but before we go there, he's the true light, which gives light to everyone. Just as I said before, he is so full of life. He is the definition of life. It just bl- is blinding. It's overwhelming. If you he were to show up right here right now, which would be pretty amazing, but if he were in his full glory, it'd wipe us all out, right? Especially in our sin, sin, sin state of, of our, our bodies. Our souls have been redeemed, but our bodies are decaying, right? But we're going to resurrect into new life, and then we'll see him as he is, and we will be like him because we see him as he is, and we're fully resurrected and, and have all the capabilities to really take in the full glory and majesty of who Christ is. But in, in a limited way, he are, has come into the world um, and displayed his true light. So the idea here is he came into the world to shine his light on us. All right, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I, to me, I think this is maybe one of the saddest verses in the Bible. You think about this. Christ. The living word, the beautiful, amazing, powerful Christ who created the whole world and then created people and then created a specific group of people that would be his vessel, his, his witness. He came to his own people and they received him not. It's like, what, it's, like it's interesting, I was, I've been watching a, a documentary on the Vietnam War and at, at lay in the latter part of the Vietnam War, as the vets were coming back home, they were oftentimes really despised. People would shout names at them, spit on them, call them baby killers, all kinds of horrible things. And, of course, they'd been through a horrible experience in this terrible war. And then they come back home to their own, and people are rejecting them. You know, And they've laid it on the line for their country and all they're getting is all this, you know, abuse, right? And there were a lot of horrible things in that war, a lot of things wrong with that war. But the point is how tragic for Christ to come to his own, his own people, and they received him not. 
and that's that 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 is the conflict. That's the breakdown, and essentially that's the breakdown starting all the way from Genesis. You know, God put two trees in the garden, right? He said, just don't touch this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not knowledge, but knowledge of good and evil, right? Don't touch that one. But he didn't say he c- they couldn't touch the tree of life. They could have eaten the tree of life and lived forever in paradise, right? But, but essentially by, by re- rebelling against God, they rejected God's love and his provision for them, right? And rejected Christ, ultimately. Ultimately, who they're rejecting is Christ. And that's ultimately who we rejected by the way that we've lived our life, is Christ, at one point or another. But, but, we come to the turning point. This is the big turning point. This is the point where, remember the Rocky music? Dun, 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 dun. You can all sing with me. And he's like, dun, dun. okay. <laughs> I try. That's my best shot. So this is the turning point. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is huge. God himself, the creator of the entire universe, gave us the right to become his child. Right, The one who created it all, the one who lives in eternity, the one who dwells in glory, has given us the right to be his adopted children if we're willing to receive him. If we'll just confess that we've rejected him and we receive him by faith, if we believe in him, he has given us the right. And this this is a legal term here. This is like legal adoption. He has signed the papers in his own blood to make us adopted sons of him. And once he's done that, he's not going to disown you. We are his child. We are his son or his daughter, and he will never reject us. He will never cast us out. He will never leave us. That is an awesome, powerful thing. That is the great turning point. But all who did receive him and believed in his character, he gave the right to become children of God, born of the will of God. There's a little subtext there that I'll get into a little bit later. So this is the key point. This is the turning point. This is the whole meaning of Christmas, right? But to those who would receive him, he gave the right. He was born so that we could enter into heaven, right? And another kind of interesting thing that's going on here that I see, I don't know that John intended it or Holy Spirit intended it, but, but I, I think so. And that is because of the sort of the mere structure of this chiasm, that we're, and we're going to see the backside of it in just a moment, You kind of see this mirror, I see this mirror image. Christ has come from heaven and was born into the world. Why? So that we in the world could be born into heaven. Does that make sense? Think about that. Think about what Christ left and entered into the world so that we in the world could be drawn up and caught up into heaven with him to ascend with him, to be resurrected into his kingdom and live with him forever. That's huge. That's the Christmas story. All right, so let's look at the backside of of this uh, chiastic structure, verse 14b. Um, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, 14B. Sorry, I'm going I'm to do this in reverse. It's a little tricky for my brain, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so 14B is we did see his glor- godly glory, grace, and truth. Uh, let's see. We have seen his glory, glories as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Only Son from the Father. Jesus is God. Very unique relationship that he has with the Father, part of the Trinity. And we have seen, and notice the parallel here, we did see his godly glory, grace, and truth. The world did not know him. In the previous verse 11, the parallel verse, the world did not know him, but us in 14b, we did see his glory. Amen. 14a, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We be, he became flesh and dwelt among us, which parallels uh, he came into the world to shine his light on us. Now notice too here that there each parallel verse kind of has a similar idea, but it brings a little bit more life, a little bit more description, a, a little bit more three-dimensional for, full orb view of this. So in, in verse 9 through 10, he came into the world to shine his light on us, right? He came into the world to, sh- to reveal his glory and his brightness. In the parallel verse, he came into the world to dwell with us, to camp with us, to tabernacle with us. The image here is of, you know, when they're wandering through the desert and they had the big tent tabernacle, and that was God's presence with, with Israel as they wandered with the d- in the desert, right? So not only did Jesus show up to, to reveal his brilliance, but he showed up to dwell with us, to stay with us, to be with us, to tabernacle with us. Amen? Verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. So again, parallel verse. Uh, John, in verse 6, says, John witnessed to his light and all might believe. Right? So we have John witnessing to his light so that all might believe. And then John witnessed to the son's preeminence. Notice how careful John is not to bring any of this, on, any of this glory onto himself. John is, is all about Jesus. John is all about this is who Jesus is, who I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal. And by the way, John, as I mentioned earlier, John's is an impressive, a really impressive guy. And we know this because at one point, Jesus' disciples are asking about John, and Jesus says, I tell you, of all the men born of women, no one is greater than John. So what Jesus is saying right there is John is the greatest man ever born of course, from Jesus, but Jesus is God-man, right? But John is the greatest man ever born. And the greatest man who was ever born, his only purpose, his only desire in his life was to make much of Jesus, right? So that's how John ra- is rounding this out in terms of the witness of John. Not only did he witness to the, to the light and glory of Christ, but he was so careful to say, hey, this is not about me, right? And when we witness, guess what? It's not about us. It is not about us. That's my prayer every time I, before I go up here, and I struggle. I've got to be honest, I struggle. But my prayer every time I go up here is, John, this is not about you. This is not about you. This is about the Lord and being a faithful witness to the Lord and his word and what he wants to get across and get, get into our hearts and minds. So that's who John is. He came to be a witness, the greatest man who ever lived. His only purpose was to witness Christ. 
Verse 16. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Christ Jesus. Again, so the parallel is from his, so this verse, from his fullness we receive grace and truth. The parallel verse 4 through 5, from him we have the unquenchable light of his life. Okay, so again, kind of builds that out. We have the unquenchable light of his life. We have this great fullness of his life in grace and truth. It takes the form of two things, grace and truth, kind of like that idea of uh, speak the truth in love. In order to be really effective in your love, you need to be able to speak the truth. In order to really understand grace, you need to understand the truth. In order to understand the truth, you need to understand grace. They're very closely related, and it's Jesus who brings those two things together. With Moses, you have the truth. You have the law. And you can say that there's a grace in that as well, right, that we have the law. But Jesus consummates it. He brings it together. He brings the truth and grace together so that we can walk in true love with him, love that's based on both truth and grace. Amen. I'm glad we have both because without grace, I just wouldn't be here. Verse 18, our last verse. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay, a little translational er issue here. It says, uh, no one has ever seen God, the only God. So again, it's reaffirming the very first verse that Jesus is God. And not only is Jesus God, but that God, he is with God, okay? But here, he makes it much more intimate, and he says, who is at the Father's side? The, the, a more accurate literal translation is who is at the, the bosom of the Father, okay? But the translators don't want to translate it that way, so I don't have to say bosom from the pulpit. <laughs> but the problem with that translation, at the Father's side, it sounds very... Passive, kind of like, okay, Jesus is kind of standing there next to the Father, right? But that's not the image. That's not the picture. The picture is, think of a young son who comes up to his father and gives him this big old strong hug and puts his face in his chest. And it's just, there's this close, warm, affectionate intimacy between the father and the son. They're God. They're powerful. They create the entire universe, and they dwell in love and intimacy, and the best way that God communicates to us the picture of what that love looks like is a really good, healthy love between a father and a son, right? And, of course, Jesus then comes into the world, is born into the world so that we can be brought up and pulled into that same intimate, loving, grace, truth relationship. We can be part of the family. And this family has a perfectly functional father and a perfectly functional son, right, to give us tons of love, tons of truth, and tons of grace forever and ever and ever. Amen? So what I want to close with is just this idea, and I I, I think we just can't say enough about it, but the idea that Jesus is the eternal God, right? He has existed. He pre-existed creation. He's existed eternity past and eternity forward. He exists forever. So think about this. The one who existed forever chose to be born into a finite body, 
right? To be born into a little baby in a manger in a body that was only going to last however many years. And in any case, it didn't last very long because he was crucified, right? 30-odd years. So the infinite became the finite in the person of Jesus. Why? So that you and I could be born up, who, you and I who are finite, you and I who are only going to live 80, 90 years at best. Some of us won't even see that many years, right? He came into this world so that we can be brought up and be made eternal, that we will exist forever. <laughs> forever is a long time, is it not? I mean, think about how many times you're rushing around. I, I'm becoming more and more aware of this all the time. It's like, why do I feel like my commute is a racetrack? I don't, I talk, I, I try to get myself out of that frame of reference every morning. It's like, why am I in such a hurry? And it's like, well, the short answer is life is short. But we're talking about eternity, right? I, I think I'm just going to take a nap for 10,000 years. Eternity, it doesn't matter. I take 100,000 year nap, it doesn't matter. You're not going to miss anything, right? I mean, we're talking about forever. That's what Jesus coming into this world did for us. Also, um, I love this, being, being a designer, being an artist type guy, right? Jesus is the creator. Jesus created all these things. By the way, I love Christmas decorations. It's really fun. Uh, we put up our Christmas tree yesterday, and we put it all up and decorated it. And I'm like, oh, so beautiful. I love that. That's one of my favorite things about Christmas in terms of decorating is the Christmas tree. It's just so beautiful. And to think that Jesus thought about each cell and a pine needle and how that cell reproduces itself and how that, that little machine that is a cell functions recently I heard that because of all the cellular research that science has done, a cell, one cell, one human cell is much, many times more complicated than a seven Boeing 747 airplane, right? That's just one cell. Jesus created all that. And then he became his own creation. He became this little boy in a manger so that we can be brought up into the master studio. I can't wait to be in heaven and see what the Lord has in mind in terms of from the creative standpoint, right? I mean, God's not going to stop being creative. In fact, he's going to remake the entire creation. He's gonna, we're going to be in a whole new world. And how will we participate in that? I can't wait to see. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of creativity involved. So, um, so there's another aspect of, of Jesus becoming this baby. The one who's who dwelt in perfect love, was born into this world. The one who was in the chest of the Father, the one who was intimate with his Father and the Holy Spirit, who lived forever in perfect love, was born into this world. Is this world a very loving place? Herod wanted to kill Jesus when he found out that there was a baby that was born, right, that would become a king. And he was betrayed by the spies that he thought would help him find this baby Jesus so he could kill him. So because he couldn't find Jesus, he just had every child that was born within that time frame in that region killed. That's the kind of world Jesus was born into, right? That's what he left and was born into. But he did that so that why? So that we who are living in this cold-hearted world where we have terrorism and we have people 
doing horrible things to each other all the time could be born up into an eternity of perfect love and union with one another. The righteous one, full of light, born to become sin in our place. Scripture says that Jesus became sin in our place. The one that was pure, the one that was righteous, the one that had been righteous for all of eternity was born into this world to become sin in our place. The Almighty born in weakness. Think about this. I mean, talking about coming to your own people, I was trying to kind of do a a modern parallel. The best I can come up with is picture like a Motel 6 at, you know, up in the desert somewhere. And Jesus was born in a shed out behind the Motel 6. Talking about humility, right, and humbleness. Jesus left the throne of heaven all of eternity to be born in this little backwoods town in Judea. And there was not even room for him in the inn. So he's born in a manger amongst the cattle and the sheep. Why would he do that? Why do you think? So we who essentially... Compared to heaven, let's be honest, we live in the ghetto, right? Compared to eternity, we're in the ghetto. And he was born into the ghetto so that we could then live forever in eternity. Remember what Jesus said? Don't, he's trying to cheer up the disciples when he's telling them, I'm going away. He's basically saying, hey, don't be sad. If I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return for you. Right? So Jesus has prepared a place for us in eternity, in the new Jerusalem, in the new kingdom, the new, the, new, the new world. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what the Christmas story means. I think I'm going to just um, end with this last one. And really just, just sum, sums up all of what I said, and that is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you enough that he would leave everything he has. There's a scripture that says Jesus, having the full right of God, did not think of it as something that he should grasp and hang on to, but that he let it go and he became a child, became sin for us so that we could grasp heaven, so that we could be citizens of the eternal kingdom. Amen? That's what the Christmas story is. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season. We have been born again. If you've put your faith and hope in Christ, you are born again into a new kingdom. If you haven't, then today is the day of your salvation. And all it's about is putting your hope and your trust and your faith in him and believing in him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I think it's difficult for us to even really grasp the height and the depth and the width of your great love for us. Lord, we see just a little taste, just a little hint, Father, in that manger scene 2,000 years ago with a helpless little baby crying in a manger. That was you, Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, becoming a child for our sake that you would reveal your light to, you, to us, that you would give us your abundant life, Father. 
Lord, that we would come to a point of receiving you, God. I pray, Father, that we could receive you once again this morning, Father, that we would understand how deep your love is for us, Lord, and the provision you've given us by living your life, by dying on the cross, Father, by resurrecting and ascending into heaven, Father. We celebrate you this morning in your son's name. Amen.